This show may contain words that would offend the sensibility of certain habitués of monasteries. It's Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. A couple articles of impeachment were introduced today. There could be more. Who knows? We'll see how that goes. We'll see what the market demands. But uh, at the risk of doing these out of order, and you really, a lot of people say, oh, you know, the first dragged a little, it doesn't really get good until the second. If you think that, here's a little bit of the second, which is about the fact that uh, Donald Trump just didn't play nice with Congress. Congressman Adam Schiff. The evidence is every bit as strong that President Trump has obstructed Congress fully without precedent and without basis in law. If allowed to stand, it would decimate Congress's ability to conduct oversight of this president or any other in the future. Huh. I just got to thinking, because when I was a kid, I used to listen to Free to Be You and Me. I like the idea of free to be malfeasant and incompetent. It's sort of the 2019 version of Free to Be You and Me. I can recall the days when I was in my room with the shag carpet and the colorful walls. Can we, can we call up that fun banjo opening? Oh, thanks, Marlo Thomas. You know, I haven't sung on the show in a while, but away we go. Free to be malfeasant and incompetent, the Donald Trump version of Free to Be You and Me. There's a land that I see where future presidents are free, and I say it ain't far from them acting like a czar. Take my hand, and in fact, we can all be plutocrats. Come with me, take my hand, and we'll live. In a land where we follow no laws, in a land with no emolument clause, in a land where no one mentions our flaws, and Steve Ducey is free to be very nice to me. I haven't sung in a while. It feels good. And remember that line about no one mentioning our flaws. Let's stick to that. Next on the album, a doll, a doll. William Barr wants a doll. On the show today, I pick up in prose, not verse or song, where I left off looking at the history, the judgment of history, the role of precedent, and what to think about what future generations might think. But first, a comedy and musical duo behind a fun, quirky, creative podcast called Bantastic. Now, Bantastic, I came across, it's marketed to, I don't know, 10-year-olds, maybe 11-year-olds. I got to say, my sons, 11 and 12, really love this thing. And I got to really enjoy our conversation with the guys behind the podcast. There are two stand-up comics who use music and songs to get laughs. Well, music, songs, and this particular DJ character. Here is what DJ Yeah always says. Yeah! And that's all he says. It's kind of monotonous at first, but then it gets super insightful. DJ Yeah is the creation of Drennan Davis, who, along with Mike Furman, created Bantastic and also the following fun conversation you're about to experience. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morf. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. 
There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now, and new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Mike Furman and Drennan Davis are two comedian musician guys who I should have known of, and I found out later I did know of, but let me tell you how I got there. I like to seek out podcasts, podcast discovery, very tough these days. Friends of mine who I've known for 10 years have been doing podcasts, and I find out about it, I don't know, eight years in. So I was reading a list of good podcasts for kids, and there was one mentioned called Bandtastic, called a sci-fi musical adventure about the most popular band in the universe, assembled by a super intelligent spaceship, Deborah, and a not-so-intelligent robot sidekick, Randy. And when Ran- I saw that Randy was spelled out R-A-N-D-Y, I needed to know what that stood for. My children and I started listening to Bandtastic. It's sensational. It's so funny. If you judge a work based on did it achieve everything it tried to, it gets an A. The two guys behind this collaboration are the aforementioned Davis and Furman, and they are here. And they have these long careers that we're going to talk about as we're also going to talk about Bandtastic. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. All right, so <laughs> let's do some. Sometimes in these interviews, I say, ah, screw it. We won't know which voice is which. But sometimes I say, let's give it a try. So I will now give you each a small opportunity to voice identify yourself. And you can mention your least favorite uh, yacht rock song of all time. This is Drennan Davis, and um, there's a Michael McDonald song. Actually, I think it's a Doobie Brothers song. It's the one... She came from somewhere long ago. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> what a fool believes. That one. Do we have to pay somebody for that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, I should pay, pay everyone for that. We as the audience that. have been paying all our lives, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, and uh, I'll I'll take this register. That way you can tell us apart. This is Mike Furman. <laughs> and uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Um, and uh, my least favorite uh, Yacht Rock song, I'm going to say, is it, it's probably it's not probably technically a Yacht Rock song, but I think the Paul, uh, uh, Paul McCartney, Simply Heaven... I don't, that, I don't even want to do more oh, because yeah. it'll it will get too stuck in your it's head and you'll hate everything. It's too late. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think that's I think that qualifies. It's yeah, not, it's a Christmas song, but uh... we've already pissed off everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that I would say that is yacht rock just because Paul McCartney definitely owns a yacht. Pro- that song probably earned him a yacht. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Oh yeah, yeah. So guys. Let's talk about let's talk about Fantastic. How I realized that I knew you. How did this collaboration start? Um, I think we were doing a festival together, right? In, yeah. In the Bay Area. Yeah. Oh, that's DJ. Yeah. <laughs> hey, DJ. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing, DJ? Are you good? Yeah. Right on. Um, yeah, we did a uh, uh, the Petalama. The Petalama. Yes. Uh, our good friend Dom put this really great festival together, and uh, Mike did a kid show, and that's I was right. and I was doing some uh, some DJ Yeah stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that's, and, and I, I had this, uh, idea that I threw it at, um, at Mike and then we ran in to Sam over at Himalaya and we pitched it to her and she loved it and that's how it all started. Yeah! Okay. So we're hearing DJ Yeah there, who is a great character, one of the great musicians who, uh, is assembled to be the ultimate band in the world, but this guy or this idea or person or do you become him or is he a puppet he's in your act i mean he's been in your act how long yeah yeah so dj yeah is up oh, there here we go 
DJI is something I basic. I just had a button and I needed a a, a, a hype guy basically. Yeah. And uh, from there, I was like, oh, it would be really funny if I made a visual representation. So I just started bringing this like old dinosaur puppet that I had and and like really DJ'd him out. Um, gave him some earphones. Uh, hat, some glasses, and from there, like it just he became a hit to the point where like people didn't even care what I was saying; they were just waiting for DJ Yeah to do something. It really is. A, it never gets old ever. Like <laughs> yeah. it is as funny to see him do it, especially. It's as funny the now if you did it right now, it is as funny as the first time I ever saw it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's the perfect blend of just energy, total positivity. Like you just can't bum him out. Yeah. Yep, yeah, exactly. But does he have different kinds of yas, or is it one yeah? Uh, he has a bunch of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's the happy one. Yeah. Yeah. And the sad one. Yeah. 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 He's got a range of emotions. Tell He's kind of like. Do you it's think like he has aloha. good timing? I mean, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then other times, no. <laughs> See. <laughs> he reminds me a little bit of Marvin the Android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, uh, yeah. Somebody told me that before. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that, but for sure. I feel like Randy's not as self-aware, though. Not as caught up in, in his own mental state. I think he's exactly. just second by second. Right. Yeah, exactly. That would be hard to put on kids, just this android who's pretty suicidal. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. We steer clear of suicidal <laughs> themes in our kids' music. Yes. Entertainment. Uh, so tell me what your you guys had had you ever collaborated or was it that you did similar kind of comedy acts and kind of knew each other from uh, being the the musical act on a comedy bill now and again? Yeah, I think we ran into each other over the years and always had mutual respect. But I think it wasn't until that specific festival that was like, oh, yeah, duh, why haven't we worked together? And I think I got put on your show. I don't know if oh, even you requested it, but all of a sudden they're like, oh, and you're going to do uh, Drennan's uh, Imaginary Radio Show. And I was like, okay, great. And so I saw uh, Drennan perform, um, and I'd seen, yeah, I'd seen you before, met you before, but that was the first time I think I saw a, a full set, and it was, it's incredible. He's like, he's he's amazing. Thanks, man. Well, and likewise, I mean, um, Mike's, Mike's uh, stuff right now is so cool because he can do like an amazing like adult act and a kid act. He's all over the dang place. But Mike, it seems like your stuff is more is less conceptual. You have a guitar and you sing funny songs. That's that's it, right? Am I getting that right? Uh, I I used to do that more. I, I these days I have been more into the uh, studio recording and then kind of recording myself into a corner because I will have these songs that are you know. 50 tracks and a choir and a, you know two different bands playing at once and then I can't do that on stage. So, I will pre-record it and I don't want to just do karaoke, but um yeah, I've been I've been doing it, it, it's both fun and limiting to have a, a big song that is more than the acoustic guitar. Um yeah, and and a lot of these days I've been uh, just making stuff and sending it out to kids uh, radio like XM right the the what's that Kids Place Live oh, yeah. on Sirius XM. And do you do the kids stuff because, well, why? Is that what you want to do most of all? Is that where the audience is? What's the motivation? Well, I mean, for me, it was pretty simple. I just hadn't done anything like that. And I've always kind of had a, a goofy, uh, childlike sense of humor. I, I mean, I think that's how we bonded was that that's kind of the humor. We really like the stuff that would make a five-year-old laugh or, you know, a 70-year-old man laugh. It's it's that real universal kind of goofiness um but you, mike has kids so i think that was probably the leading yeah thing. not not to be too uh 
George Lucasy about it, like uh, turning a planet full of Wookies into a planet full of teddy bears. But when, as soon as I had kids, uh, then the comedy started going towards them or including them at least. And so uh, I just figured like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to record that because some parent out there is going to enjoy this moment that they will relate to. And I kind of got into it more through that way of like making songs that are meant for the adults or like parents mm-hmm. or, you know, uncles and aunts or whatever. Um, so I have, I have an album called songs to sing at children <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of that tone, but then it's, it's still meant to be obviously, uh, for kids. Yeah. It's really good. So now hard and firm as the name might imply, uh, was adult humor, which was hysterical. And, you know, you'd play before adults and you weren't trying to trick anyone, but was right. that limiting? Was that exactly what you wanted to be doing? Um, at the time it was, it was fun to do, um, you know, because we just wanted to do colleges and comedy clubs and I had no concept of kids music as a thing at all. I think the closest I got was Weird Al knowing that he appealed to, you know, like if I go to a concert of his, it is adults as well as their 10 year old kids. Right. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, he's a genius. I mean, like he, he was really doing that probably the best out of anyone and and we grew up with it you know him and you know well he did it better than paul rubens i would say but paul rubens was pretty great at it too yeah Yeah. um so yeah so that was now i look back on it and i'm i there was a moment where i was like should i change my name if i'm gonna do kid stuff like i don't want somebody going like hey i love that song about using your imagination what else has he done (laughs) oh "Oh my god i wonder what they have abraham lincoln doing uh, yeah, so I try to keep a, a good uh, baffle between those things, uh, but it was fun. Yeah, it's fun at the time. There are some things that I feel like I will probably atone for for the rest of my life, uh-huh. but uh, some jokes I probably would not make anymore. But uh, yeah, it was fun. So as I think about uh, comedy and music, there are definitely solo acts. Jonathan Colton, maybe more musician than comedian, but funny sure. musical mm-hmm. Uh, comedy act, but there aren't too many, I mean, I guess, I don't know if Guar counts, but there aren't too many mm-hmm. comedy hmm. bands, you know, four or more people, and there are some solo acts. The duo, it seems to me that the duo is a big, is is more prevalent than other iterations. You got Flight of the Concords and Tenacious yeah. D Tenacious and Garfield D. and Oates and Hard and yeah. Firm, and when you played yeah. with Karen Kilgariff, even though Drennan, you did solo yeah. stuff. Why do you think that? Why do you think the comedy musical duo is the most prevalent form of comedy music? Um, I think it's just because you need to have that, that um, I mean, it's not always you need a straight guy or anything like that, but you need someone to play off of, especially, because a lot of... Um, comedy songs are they're actually more like sketches mm. in that mm-hmm. way so it's like you know as much as i do do one man sketches it's a lot better to do a sketch you know with someone else so i, I kind of think it's more like that it's not necessarily it's it's the song but it's it's more of the it's it's a sketch in a lot of ways yeah and i think i think a lot uh off of that um a lot of what makes sketches funny or even comedy funny is not even the punchline, it's the reaction to the punchline is often as funny, if not funnier, than the yeah. joke itself. To see, like, and hence a straight man is a funny inclusion because Absolutely. that puts the silly thing into perspective and, you know, you're involved in it. I think also that the a band, a full band, takes away some of the charm. And I think it, yeah. like, might trick your brain into, like, Chris and I would always say this, that if you overproduced a song, 
then suddenly your brain starts to go into a, oh, I, I, I'm supposed to just enjoy this as music. It doesn't, right. it's, it's harder to register as comedy. Like I would say Adam Sandler performing the Thanksgiving song with a guitar is incredibly funny. Right. It's yeah. super, super funny. Right. But I feel like, and maybe this is just me, but it gets, it's less funny when he has the entire band on stage and everybody's playing and whatever. It starts to feel just kind of like, oh, this is more of a song that I kind of like bob to than just, oh my God, that's hilarious. Like somebody playing yeah. with a little keyboard and singing a really funny song yeah. to me is probably going to be funnier. And I say that as somebody who I get it. Like I, I keep adding things onto it because you want it to be, you know, you want it to sound good. Sure. But even, and even Weird Al, like there's a difference between his doing an accordion and then doing like a full like oh it sounds exactly like the the actual song right. they're just different styles so yeah yeah i agree i think you know when it comes to uh musical comedy it's got to be comedy first and then music i the music can be good but i it doesn't need to be good <laughs> yeah. so i know you guys uh collaborated on this podcast do you collaborate beyond the podcast yeah i mean we've been doing some of that we just did a um uh earlier this year we did a, a dj yeah um uh, all puppet dance party. <laughs> yeah, um, right. it was pretty fun. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you basically you, it was like an immersive theater kind of thing where you couldn't get in unless you were a puppet or you had a puppet bring you in. And so there was all these different ways of getting in. Uh, like you could, there was these uh, like fake drug dealers that be walking around with backpacks, and if you if you got their drug, then you would have a puppet, uh -huh. and then you could get in. But yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah, and then when you got in, it was very very exclusive. So there was a VIP line. Then when you got inside, there was a VIP section inside the club. Right. And then inside the uh, the VIP section of the club, there was a really tiny VIP. Yeah. That was. Uh, just basically like a box that you would get to put on headphones, look inside it, and there was a uh, a club inside the box that was uh, had full like you know DJ lights and mm -hmm. stuff with a meatball sitting inside there playing uh, the chorus of a song that I have called "Dance Little Meatball Dance." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, super VIP. And just to it be was fun. clear, the P in all this is puppet. Correct. Yeah, very important puppet. Very yep. Important. And for we also had a, if you had a ticket, you could. Uh, I would take your puppet, put it inside a bubble, and it could uh, fly around. Oh, that's we had, right. We had puppet rides. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That was rides. fun. Where was this? Yeah, it was really fun. This was in San Francisco at uh, at Sketchfest. Our friends uh, put this real fun immersive theater night together. And um, so it was a bunch of different comedians who got their own room to do whatever they wanted immersively. Um, and uh, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. I wonder if they're doing that again. I don't know. I also learned a, a very important lesson, which is... Uh, I wore a bubble wrap suit. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen those? Like they sell them on Amazon. It's like all bubble wrap and it's a whole suit, uh -huh. uh, jacket and trousers. And it turns out if you wear that for like four hours, you get really sweaty. They don't breathe. <laughs> they don't breathe at all. And at the end of it, I was like, I, I took it off and I looked like I had just gotten out of a pool, like wearing my clothes. I was just drenching wet. And had to go find a corner in this place and uh, go air dry. <laughs> yes. Totally naked in the middle of this random club. <laughs> I guess uh, statute of limitations now. They can't really get upset at me, right? Like, How do they ship that suit? Uh, just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in, in a bunch of glass, which is really funny. <laughs> it's an IMPA designed pyramid, glass pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Drennan Davis and Mike Furman are the brains and voices behind the podcast, Bantastic. They also do all this crazy work we've been talking about. 
in this interview, guys. It was uh, great to talk to you. It went places I didn't even think it would go. And we're talking about a podcast that went to all different worlds. Thanks a lot. Thanks Thank for you. Us. And now the spiel. Impeachment. Not only does it affect the current job status of the current president, but precedents are also at stake. And if you violate a precedent, there is no vice precedent to take over, though if there were, it would be nice if that precedent were allowed to spend time with a precedent of a different gender. Anyway, there are a number of precedents said to be at stake with our current question of impeachment. In general, I find talk of precedent rousing. Yeah, we got to do it for the kids and the grandkids. But then when I drill down to committing an action for the precedent of it all, I find that it's often fraught. Precedent doesn't always go the way you predict it will go. Today, the House announced two articles of impeachment. More to come, sure, but that's what they said about the Star Wars prequels before Solo tanked. One of the articles was for doing the bad thing. The other was for being a dick about it. Well, perhaps I'm being over-technical. I do get accused of that. The second charge was obstruction, which is not at all respecting Congress or the law or the duties of the office of the president, not doing even a minimum to assist in the investigation. As Gerald Nadler put it, President Trump engaged in unprecedented, categorical, and indiscriminate defiance of the impeachment inquiry. This gives rise to the second article of impeachment for obstruction of Congress. Okay, so the idea is, and this is where precedent comes up, if you don't hold this president accountable, no president in the future will ever listen to Congress again. It sets a bad and dangerous precedent. Seems compelling, right? Hold that thought because I want to put on the table concerns about the dangers of a president created by democratic overzealousness. This was raised recently. So at issue was that the official report from the House Judiciary Committee, who were properly investigating phone conversations between Rudy Giuliani and indicted Ukrainian Lev Parnas, also included by name... Congressman Devin Nunes. This is bad precedent, the thinking goes, the thinking is articulated, or at least put into question form, by Fox News Sunday host Chris Wallace. Is that the new standard that, that members of Congress can subpoena phone records and then release them about members of Congress from the other party or members of the media? Because that takes us into pretty dangerous territory. I really don't think this is concern trolling, as the kids call it. Trolls, kids, kids, goats, billy goats, just throwing that out there, fairy tales. Anyway, I seriously do take Chris Wallace's idea that this could lead to bad precedent. This could lead to an open season on any president just turning up his or her nose at Congress. And I take precedent seriously. I mean, I don't think... Uh, it's good if Congress is overzealous is one of the reasons I don't think George W. Bush should have been impeached over the Iraq war. You can't impeach every president over a policy you don't like. And I also take seriously Chris Wallace's uh, further concern. Once you open this door, everybody's going to go through it. So when the Republicans are in the majority, you have no problem with them subpoenaing your phone records and finding no. out who you've been in touch with. Okay. So let us think about these two supposed precedents one by one. First, I do think it's dangerous to allow future presidents to totally disregard the legitimate oversight functions of Congress. 
though every president does reject subpoenas from time to time and to some degree. This what's going on right here with the Trump White House is total and complete and public and proud and dangerous. I think that it's very, very much not a good thing. But I am not sure how much it will set a precedent because impeachment is on the table, but conviction seems very unlikely. So how much will impeachment sans conviction really dissuade another president from acting in this way? In fact, you could maybe even argue if you impeach on this and then don't convict, wouldn't that set a precedent or give a green light to just never following Congress again? But I think the bigger and more salient point is this. Other presidents will be reined in by politics. It doesn't have to be by congressional action. Because I think every president will pay a cost if they act like Trump is acting. Now, you might say, but Trump's not paying a cost. Yes, he is. His cost is he's at 40, 41, 42% approval. So every future president who is more approved than, say, disapproved, if they acted this way and totally denied all of Congress's requests, they'll take a hit in popularity, a hit that Trump has already taken. Plus, if you don't have the exact configuration of a House of Representatives who's willing to impeach and a Senate who's not willing to convict, I don't know if the dangerous precedent, uh, the so-called dangerous precedent of giving the president a green light to ignore Congress, I don't know that this will apply. So let's go on to the Nunes supposed precedent. An obvious counterpoint is that, well, maybe future congressmen shouldn't be in conversation with indicted and unindicted co-conspirators. You know, that's one way around this trap. But in general, I do think there's even a better counterargument than that. It is unprecedented for a member of Congress to be enmeshed in an investigation, to be talking to the conspirators during their period of conspiracy, if these reports are true. Now, were Congress to say, we should not, as a matter of principle, as a matter of precedent, we should not name such a congressman, that itself would be a terrible precedent, much worse than whatever Chris Wallace is worried about. It will give Devin Nunes and future Nunes's a position of privilege akin to a lawyer or a priest in confessional. It's a terrible precedent to say, okay, we're establishing that we will not be naming members of Congress if they engage in this sort of action, that they will be exempt from full congressional oversight. Don't you think if Nunez or future Nunez's knew going in that an investigation will not name them for getting a bunch of conspirators on a call, then they'll be the nexus of all the chats between all the conspirators. Every Burisma vetter, all the great hunter hunters, they will rely on his umbrella of immunity and do that call and he can never be named. That's a bad precedent. But I want to I wanna pull back even more to that overarching question, how history will judge us. As Chuck Schumer said a couple months ago on the Senate floor, we are not yet at the stage where any judgments can be made one way or the other. But I remind my colleagues today that if the day should come when we are called upon to carry out our constitutional duty, history will judge whether we did so faithfully or not. And Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, Democrat, also spoke of the assessment of history. History will define us by this moment. And from the other side, Doug Collins warned of history's judgment. 
But history will, I think, judge this not well. It should judge it not well. To all of those concerns, I say this. Edmund G. Ross. Edmund G. Ross was the final, the decisive senator who voted for acquittal in the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. At the time, Ross was pilloried for it. He was alleged to have been bribed. He was treated as a coward who traded his vote for personal considerations. The debate largely broke down along party lines, and the parties were fractured into even finer shards than they are today. You got your hunker and your copperheads and your doe-faced Democrats and Republicans could be radicals or half-breeds. But then years passed, and passions cooled, and history did indeed issue its sober judgment. Edward G. Ross was one of John F. Kennedy's eight profiles in courage. Ross is said to have taken a brave stance that saved the nation. Kennedy argued this, and in championing Ross, Kennedy actually earned some reflected credit for bipartisanship. And that's where it stood. Ross, hero, profile, courage. The Pulitzer was given to that book. But guess what? History has taken back that judgment. It has since issued a new one. Ross probably was bribed. Andrew Johnson really did deserve to go. Also, Kennedy didn't really write his book and didn't deserve the Pulitzer. By the way, I'm also not so arrogant to think that the current status of Ross in history's judgment is is etched in stone. That could change too. There could be a re-re-re-reassessment. But my most compelling argument for considering the case of Edmund G. Ross and considering the role of history's judgment is this. You had no idea who Edmund G. Ross was when I first said the name. Or maybe you did, and you're in a select, select group. Congratulations. Because I say, and in my experience, history doesn't really judge. History marches on and forgets. So I say, do the right thing in the moment because it is the right thing. And save the precedents about historical judgment for the seers. And that's it for today's show. Daniel Schrader produced the gist. His internal DJ is DJ Really. When DJ Really and DJ Yeah get into it, they can go all night. Christina DeJosa produces the gist. She used to tour with DJ Yeah and DJ And. They were like the improv house music mafia. The gist. If you ever talk to a five-year-old, you know that they all have a second persona, DJ Y. But why? 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 Wah, 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 wah. Umpru, depru, dupru, and thanks for listening.